Talking Head, The Covid Diaries, written and performed by Tim Browse. My plan for a relaxing Sunday were disrupted this morning when Jemima woke me up and instructed me to drive to a flour mill 16 miles away. She has, apparently, decided to start baking her own bread. I tried to remind her that we are still using her last attempt at a country loaf as a door wedge for the downstairs study, but she just looked at me sternly and asked me why didn't I care about her well-being. I swung my legs over the side of the bed and looked at the alarm clock. Oh, for goodness sake, Jemima, I said, it's five o'clock in the bloody morning. Well, she said, they're the only place you can still get flour, and if you don't get there as soon as they open, they run out. So, unless I wanted to make a return trip tomorrow morning before getting to work, I should get cracking. I began to ask her if she cared about my well-being, but she'd already popped her eye mask back on and had fallen back to sleep. I arrived at the flour mill at quarter past six, and found that there was already a queue snaking around the block. By the time I reached the front of the queue, they'd run out. But I've been waiting for three hours, I pleaded. Sorry, mate, the man said, but all we've got left are the 24 kilogram bags we sell to trade. I asked him how much he'd sell me one of those for, and after thinking about it for a moment, he smiled and said 250 quid. 250 pounds, I said, that's ridiculous. Well, he said, that all depends on how much you wanted. I started to leave, but then I considered the prospect of returning home empty-handed. Later, as I lay panting on the kitchen floor, having nearly pulled a hernia from carrying the flour from the car into the house, I reflected that actually 250 quid for a lie-in next Sunday may be money well spent. The rest of my day was spent watching Jemima fussing over a small quantity of flour and water mixed together inside a jam jar. This, she announced, was her sourdough starter, or her mother, as she began to refer to it. Every now and then, she would unscrew the lid and waft the jar under my nose, asking if I thought mother smelt a bit funny. I told her that I have no idea how her mother is supposed to smell, but that the faint aroma of stale alcohol mixed with pear drops didn't seem out of place as far as I could remember. Jemima just rolled her eyes and reminded me that I should never try to be funny. On Monday, I met with my senior leadership team to discuss the issue of free school meals over the Easter holidays. Gavin said that the government's voucher scheme was not intended to provide support for families over the holiday. Sean said that there was a campaign on Twitter to get the government to reverse this decision. She got out her phone and, lo and behold, there was headteacher Ryan Bottom at the top of her timeline with a tweet saying, Not feeding our families over Easter is a national disgrace. My families won't notice, though, as I will be feeding them over the holidays. Hashtag community love. Sean went on to say that Ryan Bottom was turning his school hall into a supermarket where families could come and shop for essentials during the holiday. Apparently, he'd done a deal with all the local supermarkets who were going to be supplying the school with all sorts of items and produce. There was even, Sean said, going to be an Easter egg aisle. I tried to point out that this didn't seem to be a national campaign to overturn a government decision, more a case of one head teacher showing off to make the rest of us look bad. Sean asked, why couldn't I for once show some positivity for someone who was thinking out of the box when serving their community? I said, you don't serve your community, Sean, by making the parents play a tenth-rate version of Supermarket Sweep. And anyway, what would Joe Wick say about giving children all this chocolate? 
So what are we going to do to support our community then? asked Chan. Well, I said, we'll just continue with our food hampers, minus the lard and any other port-related products. Gavin then piped up and said that continuing with the food hampers over Easter would play havoc with the school's budget, and that if we could lobby some of our local shops to help out, that could be a real saving. Sensing that I was once again in the minority, and remembering what my leadership coach said about how strong leaders are not afraid to admit defeat, I relented. Fine, I said, and, remembering what my leadership coach also said about the birds that fly furthest are those whose wings are allowed to flap, I added, if you two want to turn our school into a bargain basement food court, you have my blessing, but it is your responsibility to get it done. When I got home, Jemima was upstairs. I called up to see if she wanted me to start making supper. She said yes, and then asked me to check if her mother needed feeding. Fearing that Jemima had broken the rules of lockdown, but seeing nobody else in the house, I asked where on earth was her mother hiding? In the fridge, Jemima said. Suddenly realising that she was referring to her sourdough starter, I breathed a sigh of relief and opened the fridge door, only to find the small glass jar of sourdough starter, its lid burst open, standing in the middle of a thick bubbly doughy mess that was now dripping down into the salad crisper. I called out to say that, from the looks of things, I thought that her mother had eaten quite enough already. Jemima came into the kitchen, took one look at the fridge and asked me if I had discarded half of mother before going to work that morning as she had asked. I said I thought she had told me to disregard her mother, something which, at the time, I had thought was linked to the email her mum had sent me inviting me to a family Zoom quiz. Jemima frowned, saying that she'd warned me about being funny, so I dutifully began cleaning the fridge. Later that evening, as I was looking at Twitter, I saw that Sean had retweeted something from Ryan Bottom. It was a photo of him holding up a perfect loaf of homemade sourdough bread. The tweet read, getting ready to feed the 5,000, hashtag community love. I picked the last remnants of Jemima's mother from under my fingernails and asked her when she thought her first loaf might be ready. Hopefully in time for Easter, she said. I thought about what would happen if I tweeted a photo of me handing out a loaf of homemade bread to one of our families on Easter Sunday, maybe with a line saying, rejoice for it has risen. I wondered if Sean would retweet it and say how proud she was to work with such an inspiring head teacher. I thought about it for a second or two, and then decided it was more likely that Sean would kickstart a national campaign to have me crucified. Steve Templeton rang me this morning, asking me what I was doing about free school meals over the holiday. I told him that I had delegated this task to my senior leadership team. Steve said that he was signing up all of his vulnerable families to the government voucher scheme. He said he was hoping for a last-minute government U-turn. I laughed and said that he was wasting his time. Steve then asked if I was opening my school during the holidays. Not if I can help it, I said. Steve said that he had heard that the local authority were looking for a few key schools that could be used as a community school holiday centre over the Easter break for all the other local schools to access. I said that sounded like a great idea, as long as my school wasn't one of the ones that was chosen. Steve chuckled. Just then, Mrs Wrangle came into my office saying that Frankie Wallace in reception had stolen all the hand sanitizer gel and that the teacher wanted to know what I was going to do about it. I told Steve that I had to go, saying that a child had just turned up and they really wanted to show me their work. Steve said that he understood and that he would pass on my thoughts about the community school holiday centre idea to the local director of education. Hang on, what? I started to say, but he'd put the phone down. As I walked past Mrs Wrangle, I stopped and told her that, if the director rang, she should do everything in her power not to put him through. 
When I opened the door to reception, Frankie Wallace was sitting under a table surrounded by 15 bottles of hand sanitizer and refusing to come out. I asked Miss Pringle if she had tried to reason with him and she replied saying that, because of social distancing, she couldn't get close enough to him to do that. I pointed out that, judging by the amount of hand gel he'd squirted all over himself, he was more sanitised than an episode of Blue Peter. I knelt down and asked little Frankie why he wanted all the bottles. He looked at me, giggled, and said that his hands tasted like chewing gum. I raised an eyebrow back at Miss Pringle, who said that Frankie had started acting strange ever since she'd added some peppermint oil to the bottles of hand gel in the hope that it would help soothe the children's skin, as she had noticed their hands were starting to look a bit sore. The reason they're sore, Miss Pringle, I said, is because the hand gel is 60% pure alcohol. Oh, she said, so... Yes, I said, you appear to have created your own range of Alcopops, and young Frankie Wallace, lying down there surrounded by empty bottles and licking his own arms, is now completely smashed. Miss Pringle began to cry as she asked me if Frankie was going to be okay. Well, judging by the state of him, I said, he should be experiencing his first hangover by about lunchtime. And at this, Miss Pringle ran out of the room. I picked up the class phone and rang through to the school office. Ah, oh, hello, Mrs Wrangle, I said. Could you find Sean and tell her that she needs to come down and cover reception for the rest of the morning, please? Oh, and ask her to bring with her a very strong pot of coffee. Thank you. Later on, I met with Gavin to find out how the plans for feeding our families over Easter were going. Not too well, as it turned out. After the school hamper cock-up, Gavin had sought to check with the local authority about what foods would be suitable to include in our school supermarket. He had been advised that we should not seek to provide any food that presumed a high level of cooking knowledge. According to the local authority, food that may require a high level of cooking knowledge included any food items that could be boiled, baked, roasted, grilled, poached, fried, simmered, steamed or heated in any way whatsoever. We should also, apparently, avoid food that needed to be chopped, peeled, diced, sliced, mashed, bashed, whisked, grated, spooned, stirred or ladled. Gavin said that the local authority were just being risk-averse and that the last thing we wanted was a parent suing us because they'd burnt the house down while opening a tin of tuna. OK, I said, so what exactly are we going to be offering families over Easter? Well, said Gavin, Sean has found a tonne of old mayonnaise sachets at the back of the school kitchen and he was looking to do a deal with a local deli on some packets of pre-cooked chicken slices that were on the cusp of their best-before date. He was also inquiring with a local bakery to find out how easy it would be to extract all traces of nuts from their organic granary bloomer. Right, I said, and what do we have for people who may wish to eat food that isn't out of date, or who may have a nut allergy, or who would prefer to eat food that is not classified as being a condiment? Before he could answer, Mrs Wrangle came in to say that the local director for education was on the phone and wanted to speak to me. I reminded Mrs Wrangle of my earlier, very precise instruction not to put him through. But I didn't know it was the director until I said you were available, she said. I told her to put him through and then told the pair of them that I would deal with them later. The director greeted me warmly and said that he was glad I thought his idea of my school becoming a community holiday centre over Easter was a good one. I laughed and said, I wonder what little birdie told you that director, whilst writing Kill Steve Templeton on my memo pad. The director continued, saying that it was so marvellous that I was prepared to go above and beyond during this difficult time, and that so many of my head teacher colleagues would be reassured to know that their most vulnerable and challenging children would be spending their Easter holiday safe and sound in my school. Oh, my pleasure, director, I said, as I looked out of the window and saw Frankie Wallace staggering out of the school gates and holding on to his mum's hand for dear life. 
When I arrived at work, I rang Steve Templeton, only to be told that he was unavailable. I said that I wasn't me, but the person on the other end of the line said that really didn't matter and that he was still unavailable. I thanked her anyway and said that if she was ever interested in moving schools to give me a call. The rest of my morning was spent ploughing through the multitude of emails from every other head teacher in the city who were thanking me for taking on their vulnerable and challenging children during the Easter holiday and advising me to read the attached risk assessment. At lunchtime, Akram came to my office and asked if he could eat his lunch with me. I asked him why and he said that the dinner lady supervising his class didn't have a Netflix account and had put on CBeebies which, for a year five class, is practically a form of child abuse in it, sir. Thinking that this could be my day's only opportunity for a sane conversation, I told him to come on in. Akram asked if I was going to be in school over the Easter holidays. I nodded. He smiled and said that we was going to have a right laugh, sir. I asked him what on earth gave him that idea. He said because he'd heard that his cousin from the school down the road was coming too and that she was proper mental. I asked for his cousin's name, checked my emails and found the corresponding message and attached risk assessment. Ah, I said, after I'd skim-read the first eight pages. So she is. Whilst we ate our lunch, Akram and I went through our ideas for potential Easter holiday club activities. Akram dismissed my suggestions of chess, oil painting, word jumbles and French cricket, whilst I felt that, although Akram's idea of Netflix hour, Amazon Prime hour and Disney Plus hour would be easily implemented, it lacked variety. Akram was just saying that he was willing to compromise his plan by swapping Netflix for Now TV when I saw an email pop up from a local supermarket offering schools a discount on bulk food orders over Easter. With the seed of an idea having been planted in my brain, I told Akram to wind in his fruit winder and go back to class, and then I called for Sean and Gavin to join me. When they arrived, I asked for an update on their ambitious school supermarket plan. They looked rather sheepish and said that they weren't sure it was going to pan out. I let that hang in the air for a moment before saying that they had given it everything they had and that strong leaders are those who can admit defeat. They both nodded, Sean even said thank you, before saying that she just couldn't believe the government were leaving schools and families high and dry. I nodded and then I went for it. I may not be the best head teacher in the world, I said, but you know something, I'll be damned if I'm going to let down our school community. Sean asked me what I was thinking. I put up my hand and told her to give me a minute. And then, after a dramatic short pause, I picked up the phone and pretended to dial. This is a long shot, I said, but it might just work. Ah, hello, is that good foods? Yes, hello, I wonder if you can help me. I then motioned for Gavin and Sean to leave. Once they'd left, I put down the phone and then returned to the email. I clicked on the link, completed the declaration form and created my brand new school shopping list. Twenty minutes later, and I was telling Sean and Gavin all about the massive discounted food order I'd just placed. Gavin was going over the purchase order and declaration form and began telling me that it didn't look like the discount was actually a discount, more of a loan repayment scheme, and that over a one-year repayment period we would in fact end up paying three times as much for the food than if we had paid for it outright. OK, I said, but the important thing to remember, Gavin, is that I managed to secure food for our vulnerable families over the holiday period after you and Sean had failed. Hmm, maybe, he said, but this is really going to play havoc with our school budget. Just then, Sean's phone beeped. She looked at the screen and said that the government had just done a U-turn and they'd just announced that their free school meal vouchers would be extended to include the Easter holidays and wasn't that wonderful news. I grabbed the purchase order from out of Gavin's hand and returned to my office, shouting for Mrs Wrangle to get Good Food Supermarket back on the phone.
Steve Templeton was on the phone when I got to work this morning, saying sorry he hadn't got back to me yesterday. Oh, that's quite all right, Steve, I said. He followed this up, saying, wasn't it great about the government U-turn on food vouchers? Oh, tremendous news, I said. He said he was so pleased that he had stuck to his guns, otherwise his week would have been absolutely hellish. Yes, I said. Can you imagine? He laughed and said at least that might stop all those scam emails that have been doing the rounds, promising schools huge discounts on food orders. Although, he added, you'd have to be pretty stupid to fall for one of those, wouldn't you? Yes, very stupid, I said, as I drew a picture of Steve being decapitated by a cheese slice on my memo pad. Later on, in a meeting with Sean and Gavin, we reviewed the plan for our Easter holiday provision. Sean said that lots of teachers had signed up to help and that she had managed to create a staff rota so that every teacher only spent one day of the holidays in school working. Out of interest, Sean, I said, which teachers have offered to help out? Sean said that it seemed to be all the teachers who had their own children. In fact, she said, those teachers had practically bitten her hand off at the offer of escaping from the family home for one day of the holidays. Although, she added, as we were asking teachers to work during the holidays, it would seem only appropriate that our staff look after our own pupils, whilst you, she said, pointing at me, looked after the children from all the other schools. Oh, OK, I said, looking at the proposed attendance list. So that means the teachers would be looking after, on average, three children, whilst I would be looking after... 560, said Sean. Right, I said, I'm not sure that's technically legal. Sean asked me to remind her why we were opening up in the holidays in the first place, to which I said, Do you know what, Sean? I suppose these are extraordinary times. No worries. Gavin then said that, despite our legally binding contract with Good Food Supermarket, we had decided to register all of our vulnerable families to the government's food voucher scheme. He said we had decided. What he actually meant is that we had conducted a parent survey asking families if they would prefer to have one bag of sliced white bread, 50 grams of mild cheese and five packets of crisps, or a 70-pound voucher to spend in the supermarket of their choice. Unsurprisingly, they'd all opted for the voucher. I had asked if we could get a clause stipulating that the vouchers could not be used in any branch of Good Food Supermarket, but Gavin said that he wasn't sure that would be entering into the spirit of things. No, I said, quite right, Gavin. We must do everything we can to support the livelihood of a conniving bunch of opportunistic fraudsters during this very difficult time. At that moment, Mrs Wrangle came in to say that a number of parents had rung the school to say they couldn't access their food vouchers and were complaining that the system was far too complicated. I asked Mrs Wrangle if she had given them the clear government instructions on how to download the vouchers and she nodded, saying that she had told them that all they had to do was to go onto the website, submit their email and then click on the link which would generate their special unique password. They should then wait for a verification email to arrive and open it using their unique password which would then take them back to the original website where they should then submit a second email address and click on a link which would provide them with a second unique password. A new email would then be generated containing a secure attachment which could only be opened by combining the first half of the second and the second half of the first password that they had been provided and that this attachment contained the clear instructions on how to actually download their voucher. And they're still having problems, Mrs Wrangle, I asked. I'm afraid so, she said. Sean chipped in, saying that there was an alternative solution to all this, but that I might not like it. I closed my eyes and told her to continue. It was possible, according to Sean, for the school to receive all of the emails and that we could process them on behalf of the parents. We could then send the downloaded vouchers to the families directly. The only downside being that we would need someone to manually process all of these vouchers and that only one user from one account could be logged on at any one time. So, Sean, I said, what you're saying is that one person would need to do everything. Sean nodded. And how long would it take someone to process each voucher, I asked. 
About three hours, Shan said, based on current user experience. Right. And who are you suggesting does all this, I asked. Shan and Gavin just looked at me. I think they're suggesting you do it, said a voice from the door. Yes, thank you, Mrs Wrangle, I said. I think I got that. Just then, a huge lorry pulled up outside the front gates, and the driver asked where we wanted him to dump all this food from Good Food Supermarkets. I asked Gavin if we could store all this extra food in the school freezers, but he said that he had ordered all of the kitchen freezers to be turned off during lockdown to help save money. He said turning them back on again would play havoc with the school's electricity bill. So where do you suggest we put it all, I asked. After the last of the 500 loaves of bread had been stacked up inside my office, next to the three giant mountains of crisps and four towers of custard creams, I loaded my car boot with the 12 tonnes of cheese slices that had also been delivered, hoping that there was enough room in the fridge for them to sit alongside Jemima's mother. As I got into my car, Sean and Gavin both walked past and wished me a happy holiday. I arrived home to find Jemima hauling a heavy-looking bin bag out of the house and laying it at the foot of our wheelie bin. She saw me approach and said that her mother was getting out of control. I walked up to the bin liner that seemed to have taken on a life of its own and gave it a light tap with my foot. Its doughy innards squelched and gurgled. Christ, I said, the bloody thing's alive. Jemima said there were nine more bags inside and could I give her a hand? As I went into the kitchen to fetch another one of Mother's bags of discarded offspring, I couldn't help but notice an empty 24-kilogram bag of flour lying in a crumpled heap on the floor. Ah, never mind, darling, I said. At least you can say you tried. What are you talking about, she said. And I pointed to the empty bag of flour. Oh, that reminds me, she said. I'll need you to pop to the mill tomorrow morning to fetch me another bag. At six o'clock, as I went up to bed to get an early night before my trip to the mill, I quickly checked my phone. I saw that Sean had tweeted something that was getting lots of attention. It was a photo she had taken earlier on in the day of me lying on my office floor covered in loaves of bread after one of the bread towers had collapsed on top of me. Her tweet read, Not sure my head teacher will rise again after this. Hashtag Easter. Hashtag leadership fail. I couldn't help but notice that her tweet had been liked by Ryan Bottom, who was also tweeting about how proud he was that he had single-handedly brought about the government's U-turn on holiday food vouchers. Hashtag enjoy your holiday. Hashtag you're welcome. I thought about sending out a message saying how I was choosing to spend my holiday single-handedly supporting every vulnerable child in this city. But instead, I just set a reminder on my phone to review Sean's performance management targets. Then I turned off my phone, put in my earplugs and set my alarm for 4.30 in the morning. You have been listening to Talking Head, The Covid Diaries, written and performed by Tim Browse. All characters and events are entirely fictitious and are not based on any real people or events. Any similarities are entirely coincidental and should be taken up with Her Majesty's Government. For more Brained Comedy, visit our website, brainedcomedy.com, and subscribe to our podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, and all good podcatchers.